1: This is One Hate Minute.
0: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. These look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven either. Robbery, homicides, take you. Give me all you got! This and- Give me all you got! I do what I do best you do what you do best I'm trying
1: to stop guys like me a podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of michael mann's la crime opus heat one minute at a time ladies and gentlemen welcome to one heat minute i'm your host blake howard and joining me today is a man who appropriately orders michael mann's films uh, in their levels of quality in his top 10 list um number three insider number two miami vice number one Heat. he is a film critic on sabbatical he is a chicagoan like the subject of this very podcast he is got bylines at ebit voices but he is the metaplex.com this is at metaplex movies brendan hodges thank you very much for taking some time off of your sabbatical to come and join me to chat michael mann and heat on one heat minute i really appreciate it mate i'm very happy to be here Awesome. All right. Well, guys, we're going to get fast. We're going to go fast straight into this show because um, uh, there's lots to talk about with Brendan and, and, and such a wonderful minute. So Brendan and I are going to dive in and watch this right now. A great transition minute, couple of different sequences, some ruthless Neil McCauley as he's reeling um, from all the events that have been happening. So you guys take a listen and we're going to come back and talk about it. That was you. That's
0: what I don't do. I don't sell metal. I would have been OK. You fly out after. Now it's jammed. So we got to go together.
1: Those, those other people were with you?
0: My friend, Mike. You know the risk, you did not have to be there. Ranger, you get wet. The let's go.
1: Awesome. Brendan. There it is. Ruthless Neil McCauley. I tell you what I do. I don't sell medals. Talk to me, sir.
0: Okay. So I'm actually really excited that this turned out to be the minute that I got to talk about because I feel as though when people talk about Michael Mann, they talk about the macro manisms. Yes. If you know what I mean by that? The famous Michael Mann stuff often i think we talk about the nuts and bolts of what he does to make scenes work and this scene is full of that stuff yes right and i think we're going to dive in and have a lot of fun talking about it but this scene is a confrontation between two people trying to wrestle with an atom bomb reveal of the truth and she probably of course edie heard about this probably on tv (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) She's literally been watching panic, the news. She right? looks completely shocked. She's just she's there. Her, her hair's all over the place. She's just been glued to the set. She's probably seen Neil's face and some of the people, you know, the faces of his friends and all these other cohorts, hearing about this huge robbery that went down, gun violence, etc. And then he just walks in the door.
0: Hmm. He he just walks in the door, and the thing that um always draw uh, drew my attention to this scene was the way that he's always doing something else than talking to her. Yes. He doesn't... So this is interesting. He didn't go into the room with her, which I would hope most of us would do if we got <laughs> caught in some kind of trouble and our romantic partner was calling us out. we go, no, oh, no, no, no. No, he doesn't do that. He goes in the kitchen. <laughs> and he just grabs a drink of water. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I just need water. And not only does he want water, he spends... All of the time And she's almost like Interrogating him Yes Right She asks like Three or four questions Boom 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 And he's not even Looking at her Most of the time He's fiddling with The bottle of water He's going to the fridge And it just really Emphasizes the disconnect And I also think Neil's trying to play It a little cool Right He's he's trying to play it In
1: There's so many moments I, I love him As a character Neil McCauley He's so beguiling Oh yeah because in this moment, there's been a couple of moments where he's tried to play it cool with Edie and he's kind of keeping her. It's almost in the same way. It's a way subtler version, but it's like what Vincent Hanna does with a crook, Neil is doing in his relationship. Mm -hmm. Like he's literally all over the map. One day it's beautiful origami, uh, serviettes on a glass, like the most perf- personal, perfect little touch nice, you know, sappy phone calls romantic conversations on a balcony overlooking, you know, uh, this beautiful illuminated ocean of lights that is LA and then now she's like, was that you? Like, she can't believe it. Like, it's not, uh, you know you said interrogation and I feel like she's she's grasping at straw. She doesn't even know, it's not even interrogation, mm-hmm. she can't even get her right. words out. She's like was that you? And, and- <laughs> He's just, did you do that? And he's like, i tell you what I don't do. I don't sell medals. It's just, there's such a, in, in so many other movies, and this is what I've found, like deep diving into the dialogue and relationships in this show, and which has been so great with all of the guests, is that line would have been like a clang in a, in a, in a, a, a much snappier. I, I use Edgar Wright, and I don't mean to demean Edgar Wright, but like he's a guy yeah. who plays with genre tropes right. and... In an Edgar Wright movie, this would be a clang. This would be a, like a hard snap yeah. close-up. You know, Simon Pegg would say that in a really funny way as Nicholas Angel, you know, and that would be just the way that it was. But in this, he's just like, I tell you what I don't do, I don't sell medals. And he just wanders into a fridge and grabs a cup of water.
0: Yep, and- absolutely. And I, I, I'm specifically, I'm happy that you mentioned the history with the lights of them looking at LA. Yes. Because something that caught my eye when I revisited the movie recently, not actually for this podcast. I watched it recently last like winter. She's in front of a window. Yes. And, it, you know, again, the, it's framed and blocked specifically so that it almost, to me, recalls that great scene before. Yes. Of course, now they're inside, but the same window that, that they walk out of is now her background. Yes. And it immediately creates almost like the starting point of their romance and this is a possible ending point of their romance depending on how we maybe answer some of these questions yes and man just plays with that motif in a really really interesting way and again it it breaks a lot of the conventional ways maybe that these scenes usually would happen
1: i think what's great though is we we get this beautiful coda of a previous scene at the beginning of this minute which is with Cassell's um, The Amazing West Studio and obviously Al Pacino um, uh, uh, as Vincent Hannah. And hannah has been on a conference call sort of lining up things that have been happening uh, throughout the last minute. Some great moments with Drucker and Charlene Chihalas, so McKelty Williamson and Ashley Judd. And Vincent comes into Cassell's and he's like, he's around. Like, he's he, he's around. There's There's stuff going down here. Like, he's around... We've got seven or eight hours. Like, all that stuff that I thought he might be gone, he's not. And there's a great contrast here of, like, you know, you talk about the great motif in a relationship. The great motif of this hunter and hunted and these two animalistic sort Mm -hmm. of presences that are in these guys are so present in in this minute, which is so cool because you get the immediate stark contrast. Like, Hannah on the scent, he's like a bloodhound. He's like he's he's around i can feel him he feels like he feels charged up he's loose his shoulders are moving his face is enlivened like he's ready to go this is the this is exactly the moment that he lives for with an eight-hour window to close this guy down like this is exactly what he wants and then you get neil and this is the first time that neil looks like he's lacking composure he looks tired he looks all over the place Mm -hmm. he just walks in and so when he's out of that control and he's not pristine and he hasn't it, it, the shields just go back up like he's just like I'm in protection mode mm-hmm. he knew the risks you know we haven't even gotten to Mike, that the, the comment about Michael which I'm sure we will but right. I love yeah. that contrast immediately because you go even just in body language such an amazing body language the way he's framed he doesn't he doesn't look as cool and smooth anymore it's Vincent who's looking very loose and 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 we're right we're ready to go there but here it's just it's this the way the score tinkles with Vincent's excitement that Neil's still around, it tinkles here with like, it's about, it's like the pressure of glass breaking. I like how you said, we're like now in the fish tank. We're not in the beautiful seaside Mm -hmm. anymore. We're in the fish tank.
0: Right. Absolutely. And interestingly, I think a lot of people would describe Michael Mann's filmography in general as a filmography of connections and disconnections between people, whether that is in the crime world, the undercover world, the colonial era, whatever it is. And in this case, we have another web of connections and disconnections, right? I mean, you mentioned (laughs) Hannah. Hannah actually comes in from outside. He's also framed with a window behind him. Yes. And so we have that L.A. skyline we remember from a couple seconds before. Whoever had the previous minute really had the skyline. And Edie also has the window. So immediately they're framed within the context of the geography of L.A., so we immediately know these people are related. These two people are still related, let alone the cutting between the storyline so directly yes. and the parallel between the composure and not, etc. So that is all, I think, very, very deliberate to keep hammering home the kind of connection between the relationship between Hannah and Macaulay. And here it's interesting because while that's emphasizing the connection between them, and they're going one direction, which is to the inevitable conclusion between them. <laughs> yes. Here, not only is Macaulay trying to maybe reconnect with Edie, but now there's a literal wall between them. Yes. Very deliberately. He weaponized a wall. <laughs> and it's not even a, a full wall. Like We have this little window between the kitchen and the front room, and he's using it to create literal distance. I've recently been going through a bunch of Tony Oni movies. I don't think it's a coincidence that I've been going through man and Antonioni at the same time because no. they both use space and geography very similarly. And this is an example of a literal Antonioni <laughs> metaphor for the drama. Yes. It, it, they're not literally, it's not like they're disconnected in space as a metaphor. They are literally disconnected in space in the room.
1: Yes. Uh, Antonio, and- Antonioni too. I think this is one thing that man has a much more grounded approach, which is I think why people don't draw that a conclusion as much, which I love your, i love your conclusion is antonio messes with temporality a, a yeah. much more fluidly than man whereas man seems like he's on a clock you know he's got that yeah uh, he's got a propulsive sense of rhythm whereas antonio only likes to sprout like he'll he'll have the you know the the clash i love you know red desert for this thing of like clashes mm-hmm. between you know humanity and like industrial perversion and poison and like he literally has many frames in that
0: movie where it's just like the earth's being poisoned and these people what the hell's happening to them as well right and he's got although michael mann's movie no for sure not to cut you off but michael mann's movies in particularly he often frame industrial <laughs> yes, wastelands yes. as well yes. so you know I, I think that there is
1: a lot there. There's a lot, um, there there's a lot there and but yeah spot on spot on very strong antonio Antonioni connection there that's great i love that yeah, and, yeah. weaponizing a it's wall it's just a tool he favorite. uses yeah weaponizing a wall is my favorite uh uh new new alliteration from brendan that was amazing. But um, <laughs> as as they're standing there, I just, I keep going back, you know, and this is where I, I find myself, and I, I say this a couple of times, but I'm in sort of a rotation. I, I co- constantly am in this rotation. And I think that Neil's boxing himself in here. He's framing himself. And I don't know whether he's, I don't know whether Neil's, like, propping himself up with the certainty that I'm behind this wall and that every I, if I just stand here, and if I act cool, you know, she was going to find out that there was going to be a bank robbery. Hopefully she wasn't going to know that it was me. She was just going to know that we were leaving and we we're going to get out of here. And I was going to have that more, you know, exactly as I think you alluded to before, Brendan, that like more romantic uh, uh, thing we've seen in many other bank robbery movies or heist movies where someone runs in and goes, I've got the cash. Like, let's get out of here. Like, we're going to get right. out of here and fly out of this place. And... I love, I want to really hone in now because she doesn't, she kind of doesn't prompt about Michael. You hear in this moment an outpouring of the subconscious, which is what I'm noticing again on this uh, rewatch, you know, many rewatches of this, but this particular minute when I reviewed it again for our episode, I was just like, he says, my friend Michael died, not my friend Don, Breeden, which is even more tragic poor breed, poor disposable Braden but Michael died and then he just starts going off on a tangent he knew the risks he didn't have to be there and you, it's just so heartbreaking it's a defense
0: yeah. I think you know I, th- I think it is him imposing an order <laughs> and a sense of control where there perhaps isn't any and he's also dissociating oh big time right yes and it's a self in interrogation case,
1: where he's dissociating one part of his personality, like the, the culpable person. <laughs> he's like mm-hmm. he's
0: owning something, and then he's like, No, I'm not culpable. Like, no. Nope. Right. Exactly. As if he wasn't calling the shots, as if he isn't the <laughs> paternal figure of this Altman like surrogate family. Right? Yes. He's the patriarch. And he's the one who sure he gives advice to people saying, oh no you know, you're fine, you should stay out, you should come in, whatever. But at at the same time, if he really dictates to these people what the route is, and let me put it this way, if I'm on a diet and I can't have candy (laughs) and somebody says, now I know you shouldn't have it, but here's a Hershey bar if you want it, (laughs) is that person really keeping my best interest (laughs) in mind necessarily? And that's basically what Macaulay does. It's like it's a classic fish bait kind of a thing. And I, I think he doesn't realize his complicity in that. And he does the exact same thing with Edie. Yes. Where he gives this almost dreamlike fantasy where they'll be on a beach and it'll be perfect and it's very romantic. And he, it's like a carrot on a stick. Yes. And he really manipulates her the way he tries manipulating his crew. But I don't think he's even aware of it. I think he's just doing for him what he thinks he needs. Yes. So he's imposing this control on all of the spheres of his life. That not to jump ahead, but I think that's why the ending is so powerful because it's a release. Yes. Of a lot of these themes, you know.
1: Yeah, he he realizes almost his his mantra that is like the underlying sort of motivating modus operandi of everything that he's doing, you know all the self deceptions all the the manipulation is just to hit back on the mantra that is the final line of the movie basically mm-hmm. i i think you're i think you're so right i think this is why chris nolan has such an affinity for neil macaulay because one thing in chris nolan's entire body of work is an affinity for characters who are self deceptive like and mm-hmm. he he does that in and you know we talked about man and 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 tony only doing things like um, bringing the metaphorical into the literal, just to ram home a yeah. point, like you know, it, it, Nolan does that too. Like literally, people who lie to themselves, or we watch some people, you know, hide things in their own subconscious for themselves. We watch people dress up like bats. You know, uh, we watch people <laughs> manipulate mm-hmm. uh, manipulate their foes with uh, twins cutting off each other's fingers to make sure that they can replicate, etc. And there's this great—he loves these characters that are just like tormented by self-deception. I think Neil. Is that guy? He's he doesn't. Uh, I completely agree. That's what keeps us on his side is that he he kind of knows that the equilibrium like the juice is worth the squeeze. I'll do anything to keep the equilibrium, to keep the happy family, to keep this. It means if it means I've got to lie to Chris to hide him, you know, from getting hurt from Charlene's affair, I'll do it. If it means I lie yep. to Charlene that I don't know anything about Chris having anything regular on the side, I'll do it. If it means mm-hmm. telling Michael no, but if he does it, that's fine. I'll do it. And so, mm-hmm. and in this moment, it's just you know, it's it's when you bring it into the house, when you bring it into an intimate, closed space. He he looks, might I say, he does not look in place in a home, in any home no. really, even in his own. Right. But in this place, he doesn't look. This is not a. He's not a domestic cat. Like he doesn't belong in this house. He needs to be right. caged. He needs that wall between them. And it's as much I feel like the way, especially you know Amy Brenneman what a phenomenal physical performance in this minute like literally like she's treading around a tiger that's entered her house like she's ready to get the hell out of there in at any minute and i think that he in that moment is just that you know he's he's something completely different than anything she's been expecting in any of their interactions so far
0: no i i agree and i think that part of it is when we enter her home we face her back. We don't open the scene on him. We open on her. Yes. and she's not facing us. No. And so when she does, I, well, I think part of it is he's withholding her immediate reaction to this from us for a split second, so yeah. that for just a second, we don't know how this is going to play. <laughs> yes. And then when she turns, that it means that our entire context of this scene is to an extent through her eyes. Yes. The cameras from where she is, we don't really get shots from within the kitchen looking at her. It's all looking within at macaulay yes right so i think that it is very much part of this idea that he is in the cage and he put himself there and made going back to the whole idea of how he's done time yes and this whole classic michael Mann theme that we see in a lot of his movies black hat thief whatever this idea of doing time or you do the time so it doesn't do you that kind of thing maybe something about this defense mechanism if we're diving deep is that he just feels more comfortable oh, in yeah. a tight space oh, yeah. where he can control himself, where the the inmates, the other inmate in the scene, <laughs> Edie, can't necessarily get in at him too directly. Yes. So maybe, maybe maybe that is part of it, and I think that his attempt to manipulate her is part of that. And you you mentioned that the thing about Michael. I want to draw you back one line, which is he th- slips in. We got to go together.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: He just slips it in. It's the only thing he says in pretty much our whole minute where he actually says something about them.
1: Yes. We've got to go together. Yeah, because he, yeah. he deflects. He talks about the together. out. Like he talks about the out. He's like, oh, the out's blown. This is yeah, blah. I went to hell.
0: Yeah.
1: All external forces. We've
0: got to go together. hmm we got to go together. And I think that's the key of the scene, that and the Michael stuff, because it's like if you broke down what he says, there's three things. There's him describing the external, the job, the professional stuff. There's him and her, and then there's him and his friend.
1: How is Edie, isn't it great? How is Edie meant to feel? Especially when you stack those two things against each other. we got to go together. And then with Michael, my friend, my friend died, you know. He he knew the risks. That's the most like beautifully contradictory Neil Macaulay thing you mm-hmm. could do together. Which is like we got to go together because this is what I want. I need to have that control. But you know the risks. Like people die when they're around me, and the, the movie isn't on the nose enough. And this is where it sort of it, where it's such a you know an elevated piece of art is that it's, it's not on the nose enough to like a lesser movie might try and chunk those ideas together but it's like mm-hmm. it's telling you everything you need to know about the character because he isn't self-aware enough the character that is isn't self-aware enough to say those two things together like we've got to go together There are risks. you got to go like you got to make a decision it's me and we're going to be on the run or whatever and we've seen that in other movies and whether it works or not you know is debatable on the the overall quality of the movie or what, it, what other sort of what are all the other considerations in the actual delivery of the the holistic thing? But I think what works so wonderfully in heat about this is because that's, it's just this whole guy's life is that we've got to go together. We've got to do the thing that I want, but I will walk away from you in 30 seconds flat. <laughs> if mm-hmm. I feel the heat around the corner, right. and we're just like, please don't see the heat because we would like to see him be happy. Like there's this weird, You've got this weird energy and this weird constant thing like, oh God and I think one thing you touched on before, Brandon is like with Edie, it is a fantasy. that was the longest time I really struggled with the Neil and Edie relationship because I couldn't tell whether he was I couldn't tell whether he was lying to her or lying to himself. but I think where I've landed, and I think what's great about those two lines and what's great about this minute is it's just both all the time. Like, that's mm-hmm. the thing. He's consistently lying to – he he, and whether it's intended or unintended, he's lying to himself that he needs this fantasy because he knows that – I mean,
0: I, I agree. But let me ask you a question then. Is what he does necessarily different from what you or I do in our <laughs> own lives? And I think that is something Nolan loves from Michael Mann and that he's played with, which is at – what point is self-deceit, but integral, yes. to the way we see the world, to the way we see it ourselves? And I don't know if you're a fan of the leftovers,
1: but I have not I seen. I've not seen. I've not okay. seen the leftovers. Well, I've
0: heard amazing things. I haven't seen it. In, no in spoilers life. for for you or your listeners. But I will say that part of the leftovers is about how we spin these fictions, we narrativize our lives. Yes. And that manifests in your personal life, maybe your religion, maybe your political point of view. And there's a meta-narrative element to that. And you see that in Nolan's movies. Yeah. We have to tell this lie to Gotham because it needs to be done. <laughs> and you see Neil spin because it's all... Because the- it's better for them. It's better for them, right? <laughs> it, right. And maybe in some cases... It is, yes. and in other cases, it's not. And the danger there is when people use what's helpful for other people to let themselves get out of jail, so to speak. Yes. And I think that's what Neil does. I think that he's gone as far as he has because he's too good to hold himself accountable. Yes. And this is the first moment in the movie, really, where he somebody really has to hold him accountable. And that's why I love this scene. It's so small. It's like so brief, a little blip in this almost three-hour-long movie but somebody for the first time is holding him accountable.
1: Yeah, and it's even as simple as that was you, like disbelief. That was you. Like yeah, you were that guy that like just shot up all these cops and people died and you know you imagine a 24-hour news cycle which was emerging in the mid to late 90s right around this time you know with the with the OJ Simpson trial and the OJ chase you know through through Los Angeles like this is literally 24-hour news cycle was born very very around this time and um you can imagine how much a, a heist of that magnitude would be spun through not only american media but world media and so the whole if you've
0: whole world. the
1: whole yeah. world, the whole world, and you can you would see, and so Edie has literally been there since what nine o'clock in the morning, for conceivably twelve hours, just consuming a, and just a cycle of talking heads and footage and everything and his face overall and police spokesman and we're hunting them down and we're this and the reassurances and all that stuff, and he just walks in and goes and grabs a glass of water. I tell you what Absolutely. I don't do in some metals.
0: Exactly, I'll tell you what I don't do. And uh, <laughs> the thing is, I want to draw attention to something you just said. And this is again one of those things that maybe doesn't get brought up as much as some of the other things when it comes to Michael Mann. But this is the absences in his movies, the innuendo. Mm. He, despite their length, the, despite their density, their literacy, and his movies are very. Dense. You need to see all of them a few times to really plug into what he's doing. He still leaves so much to the imagination. Or what, what he does is he'll invoke the absence of something. Yes. And you just mentioned there's this idea of what was Edie doing all day. Yes. What was she doing with this news? And we we get that with a lot of the other characters. Uh, Val Kilmer's character he leaves the movie. He walks out of the movie. Where does he go? What does he do? Yes. What was that day like for him? What was the lead up in the car to see whether or not he can reunite with Ashley Judd? Like, what, what was that like? We can imagine. And I think he packs those absences into the drama because hopefully we're thinking about them almost subconsciously, right? Yes, and, and even, this is a it, great example of that.
1: And it doesn't even have. To, and, and what I love about your example with Edie is like, what was she doing all day? It doesn't. And and with Val, there's that great question mark for the end of the movie. But it also happens, you know, it happens earlier in the movie. My favorite, you know, um, lucky enough to talk to um, a Sean Burns, a Boston-based critic who's a huge Michael Mann aficionado, and I remember talking to him emphatically that my. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is Justine's speech to Vincent when he picks her up after the the cop dinner, and a lot of people have had a lot of you know negative things to say about that. Oh, it's contrived, or it's this, or it's that. And my observation, maybe after literally more than two hundred times probably watching this movie and right. thinking about those absences that you 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 you're drawing out, is how many times have you been? Can, this is a super relatable thing. How many times have you been pissed off with a partner and you've rehearsed a fight in your head? And I think of how many times that woman has had to wash dishes, stay up till 10 o'clock at night where he's not home. And when she's ready to have that fight, that's not the first time she's had that fight. She's had that fight a hundred times in that shitty little tiny you know, postmodern dead tech bullshit, ex-husband's house, kitchen. And she's sat there and she's had to do it and scrape plates and be by herself and mother this child and, you know, take Xanax and smoke pot and, like, keep herself medicated. But she's had that fight so many times. And so it's just like the absences sometimes inform the things that are in the movie, exactly like you said, like this reaction, like her looking like a cage. You know, she she looks completely frazzled, like she's lost for words. She doesn't know what to say. Um And, yeah, or like, slamming at home with Chris and, you know, the weight of, oh, God, what happens to Charlene after this? And, oh, God, what happens to Dominic? What happens to these people? Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. There's, there's very calculated absences of stuff that you like. And particularly, you know, they even shoot some of it. Like, they shot a, a whole Wayne Grove scene. Um, that you see with Lily, and you see with Danny Trejo, which we talked about in a, a previous minute, that's just, you know, thankfully, I say, thankfully it's just emitted from the movie and allows right. characters to convey and sort of have a little bit of exposition to sort of put the pieces together and it leaves all that brutality to your imagination in a really disturbing way.
0: Absolutely. And I would even say that Michael Mann's movies, some more than others perhaps, they are a fascinating study between minimalism and maximalism. Yes. Where, especially Heat, because so much of this movie is understated and cool, right? Everybody says it's cool. Like, it's up there with Drive or uh, Le Samurai from Melville. <laughs> yes. It's just, like, the all-timer cool cat movies, right? Yes. Uh, and I'm sure Tarantino was very offended I didn't cite his stuff, but <laughs> y- you know what I it's mean. the difference and
1: between getting John Voigt to dress as Eddie Bunker or casting Eddie Bunker in Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> like there's a, there's there's this fine this fine line uh, between casting the guy or, or, or trying to make a cool <laughs> yeah, version of him. It,
0: exactly. And but I think that in this movie in particular, so much of it has that understated appeal, and yet it is a three-hour godfather noir sprawling epic with almost 20 characters some are in it a little some a lot but it's all of these absences and very few filmmakers can balance those two so well and i like that you brought up the domestic side of hannah with this idea of the fights that just happen off screen well not only that but think about it this way too so She's probably had this literal fight with him multiple times in the past. Yes. And it's only amplified uh, times a thousand when you have to imagine she's there all the time and he's never there. And not only that, but when she tries to confront him, what does he do? He pulls a Neil Macaulay and he (laughs) disassociates. It's a shame that the the, uh, coffee table scene, the diner scene between the two of them, uh, macaulay and hannah wasn't talking about how they both disassociate from their women in similar ways <laughs> yes. because they absolutely do yes right yes. and that's again one of the other parallels of the many that i'm i know you've talked about i've heard you talk about them but that's just another <laughs> one of them that but they're is not
1: very very interesting but they do it they 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 do say they do make those confessions, but they do it in a dissociative way, which is like firstly you've got Hannah going, my oh, no, my life's a disaster zone, so he just plays it off as a joke, and then you've got Neil, yep. who plays off the, I tell her I'm a salesman, and then mm-hmm. like Hannah does try and make him own it, like that's pretty vacant, no, and he goes it is what it is, like bang, it's just like whoa, that's a, that's a that's like a gunshot like that that hits with such resonance and so powerful and it's just like that's what's so amazing about unpacking that scene in this movie and the themes of it is that like some of these cool is the ability to say amazing lines and just let them flow like just let Mm -hmm. them flow like just not be waiting for give it no space to breathe for a laugh or anything or or a gasp it's just letting it all fly in the pace that that it suits the characters i think it's so funny like that
0: and casting great actors, and I think having a somewhat abstract score that it doesn't dictate to you how to feel. I completely agree. So it lets you ease in to the more absurd or even tropey moments of the movie. And I think Ebert made a big deal about Heat and how it just had this uncommon novel-like literary feel to it. And I think that's part of it, the ambiguity of how you're supposed to feel at any particular moment. Uh, There's this phrase that I sometimes use, which is he kind of opens the door to let you into its heart, but you got to walk the rest of the way in. Yes. and Because it's it's not going to bring you in on its own. It's not a Spielberg movie, and I love Spielberg, but Spielberg dictates to you how you're supposed to feel in any particular moment a lot of the time. Yes. Michael Mann does not do that, and I think that's part of it. And going to the uh, coffee scene between them, well, yeah, they do confront each other a little bit. I love that they both talk about their relationships as matter-of-factly as <laughs> the way that Neil starts trying to drink water <laughs> yes. in our minute here. Uh, they both have that macho bullshit thing, it was like I'm in control, downslope of a third marriage, so uh, what? Kind so of what? A thing. Shoulder shrugging. It is what it is. It is what it is. Right. That's the discipline. Right. <laughs>
1: I think um, I, I think for anyone who loves this show, as many of the lines that Brendan and I have just said, if you get them into day to day speech, I mean, just do it for your own amusement. It's really fun to <laughs> just just throw it out there. A downslope of an anything, you know, if something's breaking, or oh, that you know, that car's on the downslope of a, <laughs> a down right, slope. exactly. <laughs> just anything, you know, throw throw them in there. Um, I I think that. Y- you know, going back to your top three that I introduced right at the beginning of the podcast, I think Miami Vice um, is the perfect example of like literally opening the door, and some people it slammed them like they then slammed the door shut. You know, it, oh, yeah. I think the theatrical cut of Miami Vice, yeah, the theatrical cut of Miami Vice is so, so. Uh, good yeah firstly good i was trying i was <laughs> trying to find the word but it was just so like for me it was immediately hypnotizing it was literally like walking into a club the music is thumping there are pulsating bodies it's, it's everyone is good looking it is sexy it's exciting you don't know where you are and if you're the kind of person that likes to go into a club and have no idea where the hell they are and experience have like a sensory experience just to uh, acclimatize yourself to a mood then that movie is got the perfect opening of almost any movie in this genre, right? It just has this, like... But if I think some people are like, where the hell am I? Why the hell am I here? Look at Colin Farrell's moustache. I'm distracted. See ya. And they're just like... I almost feel like the door is closed there, but you're so right. You know, so many of Michael Mann's movies are just, like, literally... You know, even even more classically, like, look at Last of the Mohicans is the beginning of, like, a really furious hunt. And even though it's absolutely staged to perfection Mm -hmm. and glorious... It's, you know, it, 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 and even the insider, you're in a bag. Your, your head is in a Hessian sack driving right. through like Lebanon or wherever it is to mm-hmm. some shakes house. It's, it's, it's incredible. Like you just, if you want to get into a mood, you want to have a sensory experience and you need to be enveloped by something. Like Michael Mann is like, a, a, you know, an insanely uh, incredible visceral filmmaker for that. Manhunter walking up the stairs, oh, yeah. looking in the POV of a serial killer. And like right now, you know, we're we're observing someone who's so much more familiar with a cage than that. Let's go back to Pacino and Casals there. It's a great chemistry between those two. God, where Studi has just got such an underrated guy, like just a great supporting actor, sans Stoic there. You know, I think so many of the guys who work so beautifully with Pacino in this movie, um, because he's such a fluid character and he's so dynamic and that's the whole thing Mm -hmm. is this little dynamo. They just need to be these rigid pillars that he can kind of bounce. He's like constantly bouncing off them. They're like a sounding board always for him. So I think Wes Studi's got like, like the perfect face and the perfect jawline to just be that guy who just like says stuff to Vincent and Vincent. Right. right right.
0: Well, Well, what I would say is that, I mean, okay, so you've just cited a whole bunch of the most immersive scenes from Michael Mann's career, and now you're citing the scene and, between uh, Hannah and everything, and I, I think that part of it is, um, okay, so all of his movies, I think, uh, maybe there's one that I'm wrong on, but if, if I am, tell me. I think it trains you by opening in media Stress and in the moment to analyze psychology, mood, theme, character, by action. Yes by behavior it's what you do right and both uh and hannah not just in that scene but in the whole movie and in all of michael Mann's movies it is all about how they act around other people and that's why in heat especially they fill it with these amazing supporting parts yes and they get these great actors to do all of those supporting parts yes because their actions only mean as much as they can Based on the people around them. Yes. Right. So if there's not people to vibe back at something they're doing. Yes. Then it's just not going to play. And I think that's never more uh, present than in Miami Vice. Because that's like he made a whole movie. <laughs> of <built> just that. <laughs> that idea. And the opening <laughs> scene I, th- I think does that. And just to t- share a very brief anecdote. I had never seen it until a few months ago. And it was on the uh, U.S. Amazon Prime. Yep. The theatrical cut, and I was like, "Should I watch that? I never did." <laughs> um, I like, I love Man a lot of his movies, but should I? It has a sixty-ish percent Rotten Tomato. But Matt Zoller zeitz and uh, Bill, who and I've talked to both of them, and I know they're big Man people. Like they've tweeted a lot about it, and Priscilla Page <laughs> has talked about Man advice. And yes. these are all like people I love, and I love their work. And five minutes in, I was like, "Oh my god."
1: <laughs> You're like this is like, for me. This is like, this, this is, is for me.
0: Right, I was, and I think part of it is because everything I love about Man is like if he says that Miami is like an opiate. Yes. For the characters, then Miami Vice is like an opiate for certain types of Michael Mann fans.
1: <laughs>
0: yep. Because this, this is the a same way. It is a confessional. And in the same way where these side characters in Heat have to bounce off of these towering classic actors, the whole movie – like you have a lot of bit parts from Veterans of the Wire mm. or Justin Theroux whose character was or, uh, career was just getting started and Naomi Harris who was in Pirates and then her career took off. These are powerful performers and they have to hold their own in space because otherwise the whole tenor of the movie just yeah. falls apart barry shabaka henley i mean yeah oh what
1: yeah a, what a, a man a man regular and a, just an absolute powerhouse in in particularly miami vice i think it's so funny that you say it's like you go into that movie and almost like colin farrell going you know two Mahitas in and a gin and tonic right and he's like you know that lime yep yep what's your name Rita? you get your tan in Miami? Like that's, I was just like, this movie's, right. this is my movie. This is exactly, this mm-hmm. is exactly the kind of movie that I like. I don't need to know anything else. I'm getting it. I'm seeing Ricardo. I'm seeing Sonny. I'm like, this is, this is it. This, yeah, it's instantly grabbed by behavior, posture, the mood, the setting. Do you want to be there? Very, very mm-hmm. visceral.
0: It's all behavior and visuals. That's all Miami Vice is. And yet it is hyper literal mm. and it's hyper abstract. And I think that those two elements are the bread and butter of man. But to go back to the opiate thing, it's like both of them are amplified to this ridiculous extreme. And like I would never show somebody who's never seen Michael Mann, Miami Vice first. No, no he's not. <laughs> no. But he- I I would start with heat and then I would show them maybe even the insider next because the insider is a step up. That I just rewatched it, as you know. And the aesthetics of that movie are also like very amplified. The score is super loud and drama-y and the visuals are flashing lights at you all the time. It's almost at times like a Tony Scott movie yes, where it's a very stark, intense color palette. And then you keep graduating, you know – on that, and I think that eventually, hopefully, people will be able to get to Miami Vice and be like, "All right, I can roll with the jargon poetry of <laughs> what it's doing, the plot that you probably won't understand." Um, and and Heat it has the same ingredients, I think, but just different amounts. I actually don't think they're that different, but Heat has just enough narrative that people can hang on before falling off that narrative cliff, so to speak. Yes,
1: yeah, it's it's a. You said that earlier, which I think is just the perfect example of, man, it's like minimalism and maximalism at the same time. Mm. And with Miami Vice, with the ingredients, you know, the doses are off for some people. Whereas for others, it's like- oh my God, this is crazy intense. And I'm completely in like, it's like sherbet, like just, just crazy, <laughs> like, like a sherbet lolly of like you're a little kid and you used to have like a spider putting ice cream in Coke. Like that's like, it's just for some people, it's like, yes, this is like so over the top, but I'm all in and others mm. are like, no, I do not need that in my life. So it's that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good mixture, but it's also, I think in Miami Vice, the, um, I don't know if it's like the air. There is something about the environment where the air is thick and it's heightened. Well, it
0: was literally thick and literally thick from the hurricane. Yeah,
1: thick at the time, and it's just the sweat. And there is I don't know. It's palatable, and in heat, that desert a desert night feels really cool. And there is only several, not very many moments in heat where, like the blaring sun. And in one of the forthcoming scenes there is, but it's like that blaring sun isn't there. There's this sort of vacuum of like nice, cool, desert, cool, calm. And like when when there are those spaces or contemplative spaces, they just have a little bit more, I don't know, they just feel more expansive. And I think it allows people to just process information a little bit better. Whereas in Miami Vice, it's like you're in the middle of a conversation and then... Crockett staring out to the ocean, having a sort of thematic musing about the sublime, you know, which is going to be foreshadowing right. no, what else yeah. is going to happen in the rest of the narrative. Whereas in this movie, Neil being by himself and having a very similar moment happens when he's alone. And it happens late at night and it happens in his isolated space where you can't quite see where he is, but you realize that this is his home. And it's sort of a den moment and it's got character anchored to it and narrative in that moment in the way that. Mance flourishes in Miami vice can sometimes interrupt the narrative. And whereas in heat, it's like so structured.
0: No, I I think that's right. And I think another big difference is that heat, it often will inject you with a lot of narrative density. That's very, very clear. It has a mastery of exposition and when to deliver it and how to, and so much of it is visual Yes. And it's hard to script exposition when it's... When I, so, full disclosure, there's a total coincidence that I'm doing this podcast. I'm actually screening heat for like 10 of my friends... Yes. Uh, ...in like a week. This is great news. i have never seen it.
1: This is great news. I know.
0: I'm very excited. <laughs> so this just kind of dropped out of the sky. And um, I think that part of it is they're going to be like, whoa, like when you said the Dark Knight was influenced by heat, you didn't tell me it remade it. <laughs> yes. Because the way Nolan... Delivers a lot of his exposition is with these very visual, almost like mini montages. Yes, and that is just ripped straight out of heat. Like it is, it could not be more blatant. <laughs> yes. So it's very easy for people to follow. And then when he goes into those more introspective moments, the manisms that are visual, they you can go with it. Yeah, you can go where he's taking you. And just to say, I think he also will frame those moments in tableau. Yes, where. There's these very hyper composed images, and it makes what it's about very clear. But this is something I, I don't know if I've seen people really talk about. Often those moments are really brief. Like most of the, Heat's most famous shots don't last very long. Like no. the very iconic scene with Macaulay looking out at the ocean uh, out of his home 45 uh, he, seconds. He has dead, right. He too is like a dead tech house, right? Yes. Um, that's like, it's a super short shot. And the a lot of those like shots are super, super brief. So both, he doesn't really confront you with how tableau they are in the way that an art movie might. But Miami Vice, it does not care. It does its thing.
1: Different modus operandi. Different modus operandi. Yeah. Look, um, Brandon, I just want to say, you really need to come off sabbatical because this has been really fun. And for anyone who's listening, um, would 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 be able to hear just how insightful and on point um, this conversation's been. I'm just thrilled that you've been a part of the show. So I just want to say, firstly, thank you for being a part of this minute and unpacking this minute. Um, and uh, guys, if you, as I've said at the beginning of the podcast, if you want to follow Brendan, it's at Metaplex Movies on Twitter. He gives great Twitter, um, so follow uh, follow him there um mate just thank you so much i can't wait please stay in touch about how your friends enjoy your screening i, I will. can't wait I, I
0: will absolutely yeah
1: i can't wait let's see let's see if i can like call you on skype afterwards and get a quick like a pulse <laughs> a pulse check from the audience i would love that um uh guys this has been another episode of One Hit Minute. I'm extremely grateful for the amazing guests that I get on the show, like Brendan, Brendan Hodges. Um, again, follow him. Um, some great stuff and some great bylines. And as you can hear, he likes all the people um, that we like on this show. Bill Beery, who's been on the show. Uh, I'm just going to check whether you've heard his second episode yet. By the yes, you've heard his second episode by the time, um, uh, you, by the time you're hearing Brendan and I talk. And as again I, I did tweet it as a teaser but for minute 147 Matt Zollerzitz joins to talk about Neil in the Tunnel um, that moment of the movie as well so we've got those guys uh, those great people who are big man fans and the man aficionados in on this podcast too so very grateful for those guys and so many other people Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show
0: again absolutely I'm so happy to be here it was a, it was a blast man
1: thank you guys thank you for listening to one heat minute one for everything i'm blake howard at blake is batman on twitter if you want to find me and if you want to reach out mail at one heat reach out to us we've had some amazing people reach out including forthcoming guests so i can't wait to chat to those guys about it garth franklin is our web design master thank you garth paul davies does our awesome theme and thank you guys for listening we'll catch you on another episode of one heat minute just around the corner and remember I'll tell you what i don't do i don't
0: sell medals